Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Well, if you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn with me once again to Ephesians. We're looking this morning in this kind of third section of our third installment of this mini-series and final installment of this mini-series on the gospel and marriage. Uh, We're looking at what it has to say to parents and children. So Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Most gracious Father, as we look once again at your word, And what is the most convicting passage for so many of us, I ask that you would guide us by your spirit, that you would strengthen me, that I may speak only in his power, that your word might shape us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, I'm going to give some some similar caveats that you're used to hearing by now as we have worked through this family table in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, the, the caveats are these. We're again dealing with Paul unpacking in some very specific settings what it means for, for us to submit to one another, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this was one of the, the, the participles that, that helped us understand what it means to live being filled by the Spirit. Part of that is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes into the family reality and kind of unpacks this mutual submission idea with wives and then husbands and now with children. So that's the first caveat is, is, is what we're looking at is an unpacking of the spiritual life as it's applied to children. The second caveat that I also gave last week is that I'm not preaching to you, and and this week there's now six people here that can attest to this instead of just one, I'm not preaching to you this morning as one who has done this perfectly. I'm not preaching to you this morning as one who has never provoked their children. I'm not preaching to you as one this morning as, as one who has always brought my children up perfectly in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, so don't hear that. Don't hear that. I'm preaching this morning as one who needs to be reminded, just like all of us do, of what it looks like to live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third caveat is is this seems to be very specifically focused on children and, and parents, and some of you either are not yet to that stage or are maybe past that stage as far as having children in your home that you're bringing up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But there's still something here for all of us. Because once again, we're going to be driven to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once again, we're going to be reminded that there is a way in which we are to live in order that we might honor Christ as Lord. So we're going to follow the same kind of outline that we've been following, the subject and object of obedience this time, the manner of obedience, the motivation for obedience. But then we're going to add also the manner of instruction 
and discipline. So, so first of all, the subject and object of obedience. Again, uh, just like last week and the week before, it's fairly obvious. It's right there in black and white on the page. Children, obey your parents. Paul has uh, this whole family situation in mind, and he has something to say for the entire covenant family, for every member. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Kids, this is what you're to do. This is the, the biblical mandate for you. It's the imperative that Paul gives you as you think about your life in your family and you've heard what, what mommy is supposed to do and what daddy is supposed to do and, and here is what you're supposed to do. Children, obey your parents. But there's a, a second imperative a few verses down. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So here we've got the, these two imperatives, one given to the kids, the subject of obedience, and one given to specifically the fathers, the ones who are supposed to teach the kids to obey and, and the ones who are supposed to be obeyed. So kids, here's what, what I need you to hear. Just like we saw over the last two weeks with, with wives and husbands, this whole thing doesn't just hang on you. There's something said here for your parents as well. But dads, you, you may be going, wait a minute. We've had a sermon on wives submitting that was very convicting for me. And we had a sermon last week on fathers loving that was very convicting for me. And we're going to have, it sounds like, a sermon this week on children obeying that somehow is also going to be very convicting for me. Such is being head of the family. That's the reality of how God has structured the family. That we do bear enormous responsibility at every stage of the family. And so, yeah, our toes will be stepped on once again this week. The subject and object of obedience, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Some, when we get down to the fathers, do not provoke, say, well, as with many languages, that they would, if, if, both genders were being talked to, then you, you choose the, the masculine gender to include everybody. And, and that's a possibility. That happens in Greek. That happens in the New Testament. So if you're talking to everyone, use the masculine for, form of, of, you know, men or whatever, of people, right? And so, and that, that's a reality. The, the problem here is twofold. One, in this passage, Paul has already used a different word for parents to include mom and dad. And here he uses pater, the Greek word specifically for fathers. The other side of it is there is a unique word in Greek for mothers that he doesn't use here. He doesn't say fathers and mothers do not provoke your children. So, so we've got to hear, man, he does have something specific to say to us in how we go about our job as fathers. Second, Kids, the manner of your obedience. Again, we see that the manner of our obedience is religious, that there is this gospel component to it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
That there is this reality that, that all of our life is defined by Christ. All of our life is defined by the gospel, even how you respond to your parents is to be defined by the gospel. It's to be defined by Christ. Not by what you want or not by your childish, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but, but your childish notions of, of what is or isn't fair or right. But what defines us in our lives, what defines us in our obedience, kids, is the gospel, is Jesus Christ. See, kids, what this reminds us of is that we can only obey mommy and daddy. We can only do this as the Spirit leads us. Because true obedience isn't just, it's not just doing the right thing. It's not just doing what they say, but, but true obedience to, to our mother and father kids really gets right at our heart. I, I understand. I was a kid once. And, I mean, my parents are still around. They're sitting right there. And so, you know, I mean, all this stuff, I've got to preach in front of my entire family. It's a blast. <laughs> but I understand when your mommy or daddy says, hey, go pick up your room. And you do. The room gets picked up but it gets picked up with just the most enormous amount of attitude that it could possibly be picked up with. Stuff is thrown into drawers, the right drawers, with anger driving it into the drawer. When, when your mommy or daddy, you know, say, hey, go brush your teeth, get ready for bed. And you're like, okay, I'll do that. After I do these 10 other things that I want to do. Or, or when your, your mommy and daddy, you know, just give you some simple instruction. And you obey. But you obey out of frustration. What Paul is reminding us of here when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Is that our obedience really is a matter of our heart. Now, this is a very convicting reality for us. Because just like when we read the Ten Commandments earlier, and then we look at how Jesus deals with the Ten Commandments. Remember, kids, if, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you hear Jesus say things like, it says, don't murder. And you say, I haven't. But I tell you, even if you've considered someone with anger or hate in your heart, you're guilty of that. Man, Jesus tells a parable about, about two kids that their daddy told them to do something and, and one of them was like, no, I'm not going to do it. But then he had a change of heart and he obeyed. The other was like, oh, fine. And he obeyed grudgingly and grumbling the whole time. And Jesus makes the point that it was the first one that, that said no and repented and then obeyed that was, that was in the better position. Kids, how we obey our parents matters. And, and kids, those times when, when mommy or daddy ask you to do something or tell you to do something and you don't do it, that shows that, that you too need a savior. 
You too need this Lord in whom you can walk. You too need to be filled by the Spirit that you might walk in Him. And and kids, it also, it gets more convicting than that, doesn't it? Because those times when mommy or daddy says, hey, obey, go clean your room, whatever it may be. And, And you do this with all kinds of horrible thoughts about your mommy and daddy the whole time you do it. That shows the condition of your heart. And that shows that you too need a savior. That shows that that, that it's the spirit that must indwell you, that you might live a life that honors Jesus. But then we have the motivation for obedience. Honor your father and mother, for this is right. So there's the first first motivation. This is right. It's the right thing to do. But you know, kids, just like I know that this is right is weak motivation for most of us. Very weak motivation. And the reason is Paul tells us in, in other places We just don't like the law. We don't like being told what to do. It doesn't matter if it's right or not. One of the surest ways you can get somebody to do something that's not right is demand that they do it because it's right. That's not just with you kids. That's with your parents as well. That's with your parents as well. But that doesn't change the fact that obedience is right. That that is the, the, the God's holy expectation for us. That it does honor him when we obey simply because it's the right thing to do. And there's times that you have to do this, isn't there, kids? There's times when your mommy and daddy say to you, you know, that they give you some direction or, or, or some, you know, prohibition. They say, don't do this. And you don't understand why. And maybe they don't have time to explain it. Maybe they say, trust me, this doesn't end well. You're just going to have to believe me on this. I've been down that road. And it may frustrate you. But it's the right thing to do, to listen to them. An obvious example of this, kids, is is when you see a little kid and and maybe they're playing and their ball runs out in the road and they go to run out in the road and and the parent yells, stop, or, or, or maybe grabs them. And and they get mad and they cry and they scream as the car that would have obliterated them drives by. The right thing to do is to listen to your parents. But then Paul says, honor your father and mother. He quotes one of the Ten Commandments. And he says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, here's where we've got to be careful. And we've got to understand that the the motivation for the obedience isn't earning the promised land. It's not earning heaven. It wasn't for the kids in, in, in ancient Israel earning Canaan. That wasn't the motivation. We must be careful here so that kids, we don't accidentally buy into some kind of works based salvation and parents so that we don't set up such a thing. Because it's very easy 
to be the good kid, to put on the happy face, to, to, to you know, have a good front for everybody to see and think, okay, I'm the good kid. God must be super happy with me. I don't cause my parents much trouble. And it's easy for us also, parents, to see our kid that is the good kid, if you're so blessed, and think, well, they're going to be okay. I got one right. They're and, and, and it's so tempting to attach far more to our obedience as children or our children's obedience as their parents than what we should. Paul is not here backing up on, on his clear and repeated proclamation that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So what then is he doing? Well, he's reminding us as children and as parents that there is actually a standard of living, that there is actually a right way to live. But, But to understand all of this, we must understand kind of the nature of the Mosaic Covenant and, and what its point was in the first place. Because when we go back and, and, and we look at Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 15, and Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 25, and Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 25, we see some very particular things. That parents were to teach their kids the fear and instruction of the Lord. That's what they were to do. But it wasn't that they might earn their salvation. The the Mosaic Covenant taught the Israelites what it looked like for them to trust God. When you go back and read, and I would encourage you to do this, read it as a family. Read Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 and pay attention to how parents are to, to instruct their children. Over and over and over, what you see is remind them of the story of our salvation. Remind the kids that God brought us out of Egypt. Remind the kids of the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remind the kids of what our story is and who we are. Remind them of these things. That's the repeated instruction in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. Tell them the old, old story. Because here's here's the reality. What the Mosaic Covenant was doing was not teaching the Israelites how to be saved. It was not teaching the Israelites how to become the people of God. It wasn't teaching the Israelites how to to gain the promised land. It was teaching them what it looked like for them to trust God in his promises that he would give them the promised land. That That was the nature of the Mosaic Covenant. Remember even where the Ten Commandments start. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It starts with this declaration of salvation. I saved you. So do these things. Not do these things and then this future ending and I will save you. That's to get it all backwards. The other thing that we have to understand about the Mosaic Covenant is that it also taught the Israelites that they needed their sin atoned for. I mean, goodness gracious, Leviticus is the bloodiest book that maybe has ever been written. There's just blood being thrown and spilled and poured and everywhere. 
Because all of these animals are having to die for sin. Not for their sin, for the people's sin. The Mosaic Covenant was was designed to teach the Israelites, you need your sin atoned for. That was a, a, a massive part of what it was given for. It wasn't given for them to think, oh, I'm sinless, and so I get the promised land. No, the very nature of the Mosaic Covenant, it assumed you were a sinner. And it rightly assumed that. And so it provided all of these sacrifices that you were to make. We also see that the Mosaic Covenant pointed forward to the Christ who would come in fulfillment of the law for his people. We see this in the sacrifices that that it said that he fulfilled. We see this in in Moses being told, I will raise up one like you, but he's going to be better, and that's who people need to listen to. We see this so clearly in the New Testament where Jesus says he fulfilled the law, where Jesus is presented as the true and better Moses, as the true and better priest, as as the one who intercedes for his people. All of this is embedded in the Mosaic Covenant. So we don't need to read this statement, it will go well with you, as Paul somehow backpedaling into works for our salvation. All of those are positive ways of saying it. Negatively, we could say that the Mosaic Covenant did not undo the promises made to Abraham. This is explicitly what Paul says in Galatians 3, 15 to 29. He says the second covenant, covenant, i.e. the Mosaic Covenant, where, where he's quoting from here, doesn't undo the promises. So when Paul gets to the law in teaching children to obey their parents, reminding them of the promise that is there, he's not backpedaling and offering a works-based salvation. He's reminding us there is a way that life looks when we live it in light of the promises of God. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for his people and rose in victory over sin and death. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And and, and with that came the kingdom of God. And we get brought into that. There's the gospel. That's the gospel. But we can't forget that with it did actually come a kingdom, with a king, and with standards, and with rules, and with authority, and that we're to live a certain way in that kingdom. And that's what we're learning about here. What life is to look like as faithful citizens of the kingdom. What life is to look like for those who have, have been, past tense, have been brought into the kingdom. So Paul's not backpedaling here. So the manner of obedience is first, it's right. I'm sorry, the motivation for obedience is first, it's right. Second, it's going to go better for you if you listen to your parents. It's going to go better for you. And some of you kids, you're old enough that you already know this is true. You don't necessarily care, but you know that it's true. Because you've heard your mom and dad say, do X, and this, this will work out. Or perhaps you've come to him and said, hey, how do you think I should handle this situation with this teacher at school? And, and, and they say, well, I think you should do this. And you think about it and you're like, you know, nope, 
I'm going to do it this way. And it doesn't work. And you realize, even if you're homeschooled, by the way, <laughs> if I would have handled this teacher the way my mom or dad said to, it would have gone better for me. And I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in now. So there's the motivation. One, it's the right thing to do, kids. It, it honors God who sent his son to die that you might live. And second, I promise you, it's going to go better for you. Your parents have gray hair for a reason. They've made all the bad decisions. They've done the stupid stuff. They've disobeyed their parents, and it's gone poorly for them. And they're like, man, my kids won't be that way. Because we're fools still, too. Third, we shift in verse 4 to the fathers. And we get the manner and instruction of discipline. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Man, I would much rather just give the benediction here and move on. Because here's where we begin to see what Paul's talking about, about why it's going to go better for you. About why it'll go better for your kids if they obey you. Because the assumption, dads, and he is, I think, here specifically talking to dads. Doesn't mean that moms get to, like, infuriate your children. But he's saying something here to dads. The assumption here is that, that what you're disciplining them in, what you're teaching them, is the instruction of the Lord. And that the manner in which you're doing it is the manner of the Lord. Not provoking them to anger. Not teaching and disciplining and instructing out of tiredness and frustration. Not approaching your calling as father for your benefit or for your ease or for your glory, but that they may know God, that they may know Christ. Dads, why is it that we need to hear this? What are the situations in which... You, you end up provoking your children to anger. Is it not? Is it not those times where the motivation for your discipline and the motivation for your instruction of your children has precious little to do with the gospel, precious little to do with the glory of God, precious little to do with them honoring God with their lives and entirely, to do with you're tired, you think you deserve better, you don't want to deal with them, you're annoyed, whatever it may be. 
And how often, how often, dads, does the provoking discipline come? Not even from a time where you're legitimately tired because you have worked all day from before the sun came up but because they're interrupting something that you would rather be doing. Because they've come in in the middle of the game. Because they've come in and, and interrupted your time where, where you've set aside for you to, to get to read or to relax. Because they didn't get the grass cut just like you would have. And the whole reason you asked them to cut the grass was because you didn't want to. Dads, is, not, is it not true that the times when we are the most provoking, and, and we might be able to say that, that the only times that we are provoking is when we're operating in our flesh. And we're not seeking to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, but in the discipline and instruction of the of me. We're not so concerned with them growing up to fear God, but them presently fearing me. We're not so concerned with, are they going to grow up and live lives given over to Christ? But we're concerned with, are they going to grow up and live lives that make it look like I was a really good dad. See, th this statement forces us to ask ourselves, am I more concerned with how I look by their behavior and their success and their achievements or with whether or not they walk with Jesus? It's very easy, isn't it, fathers, for us to twist honoring God with their lives into all kinds of things that really are just about us looking good. It's very easy for us to twist honoring God with their lives with being on the honor roll and getting college paid for and getting great jobs and being successful. It's very easy for us to twist godliness into dadliness. And we're failing when we do that. Utterly failing when we do that. So what does it mean to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, here we would do well to go back to Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 and remember what it meant for the Israelites. As I said earlier, if we go back, and we'll flip there briefly, you can, you can just listen, but if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we read the first few verses, we, this is what we read. I'm going to read a, a little bit of a long section here. I'm going to start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." If we skip down to verse 20. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all this household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord our God as he commands us. Notice what he was told. Notice what the fathers were told. Remember the story of the promises made to Abraham. And when you look around and you're living in houses you didn't build that are full of stuff you didn't fill them with, and you have water from wells that you didn't dig, and you're eating of the bounty and drinking of the bounty of vineyards that you had nothing to do with planting. Remember that this is God fulfilling his promise. And when your kids come to you and say, Daddy, why do we do all this stuff? Why, Daddy, why does our life look different than everybody else's? Why do I go to church on Sunday when all my friends get to sleep in? Why don't I get to do all the stuff that they get to do? Daddy, why do you care what my dating relationships look like? Why do you want to know who I'm hanging out with? Why do we do all this stuff? Remember what the answer was. Because God redeemed us. Because we serve a gracious God who brought us out of the house of slavery and who remembered his promise to us. And we are utterly, entirely, completely defined by that. Dads, this is what we're to give our kids. Why do I have to do this? Because we are utterly defined by Jesus. And this may mean 
that some of the things you're demanding of your children might come to an end. Because what you're demanding of them may not have actually anything to do with the gospel or being defined by Christ. But what you're demanding of them may have way more to do with being defined by making you look good. And so it forces us dads to ask, why is it that I'm asking my child to keep this standard? Why is it that I want them to do this or don't want them to do that? What will I say when they come to me and say, dad, why? Why? And what we're called to give as an answer is because we're utterly defined by the grace of Jesus Christ. I can see the fear in your eyes. I can feel it in my own guts. Well, that may mean that that my kids give up on the American dream and, and, and don't have a better life than I gave them, that they can give to my grandkids. You're right. You're right. It might mean the abandoning of this world's standards in order to be defined by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's how we're to discipline and instruct our children. And when we don't, we lean into that very same gospel and repent, even to them. And we go to our kids and we say, my dear child, I have heaped a law of my glory on you once again, and I am sorry. Will you please forgive me and look with me again to the cross of Jesus Christ? For he is our hope. He is our security. He is our identity. And the glory of the gospel, dads, is it gives us the freedom to do that. It gives us the freedom to do that even if it's late in life, it gives you the freedom to repent and look to Jesus once again. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you who do discipline us perfectly, who, do, who does bring your children up perfectly, in the discipline and instruction of your son. In the discipline and instruction of the gospel. Whose discipline always comes from your fatherly love for us and for our good. Would you teach us now by your spirit to do the same? And would you teach our children as we do this 
to obey in Christ? Would you, by your Spirit, work faith in them? Fill them by your Spirit that they might hear our instruction and so walk in a manner that honors their Lord and Savior. God, we see so clearly that we cannot do this on our own. And so fill us up. Fill us up to overflowing that we may pour the gospel out on these dear children whom you have given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.